Another month has passed So even though no one asked We're about to explore it all on the Dan Chronicles Hello, everyone, and welcome to, what is it, August. It's August, the August edition of the Dan Chronicles, the monthly email newsletter and associated audio edition podcast thing where I dive into my favorite things that happened over the past month and share them with you. If you don't get the newsletter, you can find it on my website, danb.org, and that's Dan with two N's, D-A-N-N-B.org, and click the little link at the top that says newsletter. But yeah, we made it to August, and I feel like I was just writing and recording the last newsletter, Uh, and I sort of feel that way because I was. I kind of waited until the very last minute to record last month's newsletter and, and write it, just because... I know for whatever reason, it just wasn't coming to me. It was a harder one to write, uh, but I got it out. I got it done right at the last minute. And this newsletter, it, it was much easier. It just kind of came and all the stories I had a lot to say. And so this is one of the longer ones, but it was also one of the easier to write. And sometimes that just happens. And so we're just going to go with it. I don't really have too much else to say. So let's just jump into the stories. Now it's time for the stories. I have seen a lot of movies since we last spoke. Uh, let's see. I did the Barbenheimer weekend. So Oppenheimer followed by... Actually, no, I did it in the different order. I said Barbenheimer, but I saw Barbie first, and then I saw Oppenheimer. So Saturday and Sunday, not even the same day. Uh, and honestly, I was kind of disappointed. I wasn't really into it. I I mean, Barbie was fun, but I mean, Barbie was fun. And that was about the extent of my interest in Barbie. Oppenheimer was long and dense, and I don't necessarily like long and dense. I like long. I like slow burn, slow build movies, but long and dense. It's just like when you have... When you have a film that, that that's that ambitious and there's just so much story that you want to tell, there's just, it's so difficult to do it in an interesting way. And I guess Christopher Nolan tried uh, and he's a great filmmaker, I guess. But the only thing that I can really compare it to uh, is Bo is Afraid, which came out, what was it, last month or the month before? And that was the three hour epic movie from Ari Aster. Ari Aster, who made Hereditary and Midsummer, And looking at the filmmaking and storytelling of the two, particularly the storytelling, I just think Ari Aster is on a whole different level than Oppenheimer was with Bo is Afraid. And so I kind of, man, when Christopher Nolan makes stories like Interstellar or Inception, it just really, I feel like, moves the bar forward in terms of storytelling and filmmaking. Like he, he, has the ability to do some really amazing stuff. And then he does something like Oppenheimer, which like, yes, it's great. It's an important story to tell, but like, it's such a big story that like, how can you do it justice? And how can you truly show the, the heinous crimes that were committed? And like, you're telling it from a certain us centric perspective. And there's just so much information to tell. It's just, you're giving yourself an impossible task and like, it was good, but it was also an impossible task that felt like an impossible task. So that was my takeaway from the Barbenheimer weekend. Loved Barbie. I enjoyed it. Oppenheimer, meh, but largely I walked away from the weekend on 
excited, unenthused. Uh, the following weekend, though, was so much better, at least for me. So Friday night, I had tickets to the premiere of Talk to Me, the new Australian horror film coming out of A24. And that's really what I want to talk about. But I had Talk to Me on Friday and then Theater Camp, which is just a fun comedy movie about a summer camp for theater kids that the Talk to Me a theater camp like duo was just so much better than Barbie and Oppenheimer. And I would have to say that I would recommend it nine times out of 10 for that little combo. Uh, but Talk to Me was great. Talk to Me was a movie that had gotten a lot of hype because it was an independent Australian film that then was acquired by A24. And it made a lot of buzz. There was a lot of buzz for it at the different festivals as it was going around. Um, I missed largely most of this buzz. So it wasn't something that I was following for a long time or anything, but I saw it was a 24. I saw a trailer and the trailer looked really good. I was like, Oh, this kind of reminds me of it follows, which was another uh, older horror film that I thought was really original and really fun. And so I was like, okay, talk to me, talk to me is going to be great. I need to see that. And man, I was really impressed. It was a fun time. It wasn't my favorite movie of all time, but Man, it was a really fun one. But one of the things that I thought was more fun was I came home and started kind of browsing YouTube for things, YouTube for information on the movie. And it turns out the two filmmakers are two YouTubers. They're apparently fairly large. I had never heard of them before, uh, but they're based in Australia. And I started watching a couple of their YouTube videos about touring the movie to all the different festivals and then getting acquired by A24. And man, it's two twins from Australia that just have the most energy I've ever seen. And it's just so infectious. And the video where they just take you to Sundance Film Festival, it feels like you're there and experiencing it with them. And it's just so much fun. So talk to me, I recommend. And then I recommend watching some of the YouTube videos, which I link to in the actual newsletter as a, a follow-up. And it just it makes you feel joy. It makes you feel joy at the success that they received. And it is such a solid movie that I totally understand all the hype. So we recently adopted a new cat. Uh, and one of the things I, I've had cats most of my life growing up. And one of the things that I kind of told myself when I was going to get another cat is that I'm just sort of done cleaning litter boxes for my entire 30 years of life. Like I've had a cat and I've cleaned litter boxes. I guess not when I was like a kid, but you know what I mean? There's just always a litter box to clean. And I, for this particular time, I was like, okay, we can get another cat, but I'm going to invest. I'm going to get one of those litter robots, the automatic cleaning cat litter boxes. And so I got one of these and it is honestly better than I expected. It got, it better be for the money, but it is a fantastic little device and I really enjoy it. But it started making me think of all the other places in my life that I've automated, right? Because you get a litter robot, it automates the cleaning of the litter box. And I feel like over the past maybe five years, I've been really focused on automating certain areas of my life. And I found that it's to great benefit in terms of not 
having to think about certain recurring tasks. So I kind of made a list of some of the things and I listed out mostly because I feel like more people should be automating stuff. Uh, and I, I think that what it allows you to do is something I first read about in Getting Things Done by David Allen, the book about productivity and work and organizing your work. And he explains a concept of mind like water. And that's where you get your brain to a place where it's no longer holding on and juggling all these like tasks and to-do items. You get them into a system that you trust, and then you can have mind-like water. And mind-like water is basically your brain creatively free to think about other stuff and, and ponder on whatever you want. You're opening yourself up to other thoughts and ideas. And when you automate tasks and things, you're able to free up your mind for that. So a few of the things like home automation for me has been great. Uh, I think that I manually flip on or off um, a light switch. I guess our main light switch uh, in the living room or the bedroom may be like once every few weeks. Um, Like the bathroom one, I don't have automated Um, And we have a hallway one that's also not automated. But for the main rooms, I never even have to touch those lights because it's all just automated. Um, Amazon subscribe and save has been really nice for a few select items. Although, I mean, honestly, I'm subscribed to, I don't know, maybe five or six things. And then each month I'll go in there and be like, nope, I don't actually need this. Nope, I don't actually need this. But it's nice just to have constant reminders of these things that I may want, although I usually don't. Um, Savings. Uh, putting money towards retirement is automated, and I highly recommend other people do that too. Um, backing up files digitally, getting that automated has been really nice. Uh, I also actually wrote a script several months ago when ChatGPT first became popular. I used ChatGPT to write a script that sends me a daily email that shows the pinboard bookmarks that I've made on that day and years past. And that's kind of like a fun automated way to remind myself of things that I've saved in the past. And now I save things as kind of like a gift to the future me. Um, And then just utilizing Apple reminders and calendar event reminders has just completely changed the way my memory works in terms of having a system that I can put tasks and things in, and then I'm no longer holding them. And it's just a really powerful tool. And the litter robot, I think, is just another piece of that puzzle. And it's why I really enjoy it. It's finally starting to feel like things are getting back to normal or whatever new normal is after the pandemic. And I feel like I've been saying this for a while, but now we're at the point where like in terms of people's energy and social and going out, it's starting to feel normal again. I feel like for a while people started going out again, but one activity a day was still exhausting, right? Like, I remember there being a time just a year ago where I couldn't believe that at one point in time I had energy to spend a full day working in an office and then going out and doing an activity afterwards. That just seemed impossible to me. Uh, And in, in terms of me, for now, I'm back in an office five days a week by choice. I'm doing things afterwards. I'm fully back there. So I feel back after the pandemic. Um, which is really fantastic. But I think in terms of life and the world around us, we still are going to feel the rippling effects. And one of the things that I'm paying attention to most closely is how New York City is handling the changes. Because New York City, the economy 
was largely based on people commuting into the city during the day and then leaving at night. And so there's a bunch of businesses that are supported by this daytime population burst, and then a bunch of offices that are also filled, and none of this has come back. The the New York City economy and the way that people behave has completely changed. And so it remains to be seen kind of what is going to happen with that. It almost feels like we're waiting for another shoe to drop, although we'll, we'll see um, if that actually happens. But there's there's two news stories that particularly caught my eye this month. Um, the first is outdoor dining is becoming permanent in New York City. So that is really nice. Honestly, I think outdoor dining is a no-brainer. Like, I'm not sure why we didn't have it before. And I know all the restaurants are really enjoying having the extra seats so that they have the potential to make extra money. The one caveat is that any structures that are built in the street are only seasonal. They need to be torn down in the winter, which I know has a lot of restaurants upset, especially with how uh, permanent these non-permanent structures ended up being. But I mean, that makes sense for street cleaning, although New York doesn't get snow anymore. But like, I guess potentially it could at some point and they need to be able to clean the streets. And so the non-permanent structures in the street just kind of makes sense. But I'm happy that's here to stay. Uh, and the second thing is Manhattan, certain parts of Midtown were just rezoned so they can make office buildings into residential. And this has been a contentious topic simply because it seemed like such a no-brainer to anybody living here that if all of these spaces in Midtown are empty, they should just turn them into residential because there's people that need housing. But at the same time, turning an office into residential is way more complex. There was this New York Times article that came out several months ago. I linked to it in the newsletter that talks about all of the difficulties in converting office to residential in terms of like fire safety and where elevators and stairs are and where the units can be and the plumbing. And there's just so many different giant things that need to be remade in order to turn these offices into residential. And at the time, I sort of saw that news article as setting the stage that, okay, you might think you want this, but it's not actually going to happen. And so I was sort of excited to see that there were certain areas that were rezoned and they are going to do it like, oh, well, I guess it's not that complicated. We want to make some money. And so I think that's great. I think New York City needs more housing. And I think that all of those empty offices makes zero sense. And so things are being rezoned now. It'll probably take a decade before we start really feeling the difference. At least that's what happened when they rezoned downtown Brooklyn, which is where I'm living right now, because they rezoned it in 2003 after 9-11, wanting to build a nice business center in Brooklyn. So it wasn't all concentrated in lower Manhattan and midtown Manhattan, and they wanted one in Brooklyn. And it took 15, 20 years before we actually saw some of those high rises. Now, fortunately, we're not building giant high rises. We're kind of remaking offices into residential, so it won't be as long, but still, it's going to be a while before we see any changes. But definitely, especially as a New Yorker, I'm watching this closely. Next, I just want to talk about Apple Maps because Apple Maps is great, but I feel like nobody knows it. Like iPhone users are still using Google Maps. Uh, and I bring this up because I was watching a video on YouTube by MKBHD, who makes fantastic tech videos. And his video was on the worst hot takes in tech, where he 
asked people for some hot takes on Twitter, and they responded, and then he talked about them in detail and taking them seriously. And one of the hot takes was that Apple Maps is pretty good now, or Apple Maps is better than Google Maps, which is a hot take for some reason. And I always forget that it is a hot take. And in order to explain myself, I kind of want to talk about the history. So Apple Maps, when it was first released uh, over a decade ago, it wasn't very good, right? There were locations that were bad. There were directions that were wrong. And they got a lot of flack everywhere because it just wasn't ready for prime time. And so you had Google Maps, which was tried and true and just really, really good. And then you had Apple Maps, which wasn't very good. And so people just stuck with that opinion and then never changed it. But at this point, you have to look at kind of how these apps have changed over time, right? And I'm just going to put this a little bit in perspective for you. Apple Maps, when it came out, compared to Google Maps, Google Maps had about a seven-year head start, right? So Google Maps was there making maps and sending Street View and doing all this stuff for seven years before Apple Maps came out. Apple Maps came out now more than a decade ago, right? So Apple Maps at this point has had more than enough time to try to catch up. And Apple Maps has full feature parity pretty much in terms of uh, street view, in terms of destinations, in terms of accuracy of the maps. If you compare them side by side in terms of ease of use and UI and everything, if you were on an iOS device, you would be hard pressed to say Google Maps is better than Apple Maps. I'm sure that there's some small towns where it might not be as good, but that's going to be the exception rather than the rule. And if you're still using Google Maps because of an opinion you formed over a decade ago and you haven't explored that since, I just highly recommend giving Apple Maps a try because it's way more integrated into the operating system. It's fantastic to use and it's really accurate. And I think the directions are better than Google Maps and just all around. It's a great app. I mean, I guess that's a hot take, but it shouldn't be a a hot take because it's just a fact. So I highly recommend if you're an iOS user to, to drop the Google Maps and move back over to Apple Maps because it's fantastic. Lastly, I just want to share a funny skit. It's like five minutes, so definitely go in there and check it out. It's called AI Boyfriend by a sketch comedy group, group whatever, called Krizam. Uh, and it kind of presents a situation where a girl uh, is going and visiting her grandpa, and this girl is dating an AI. This is at some point in the future where things have changed. And the premise during the first like 30 seconds, I was kind of rolling my eyes i wasn't that interesting interested but it has some great lines it has some great lines that really made me want to share it so i thought that was funny check it out and that's it for this newsletter i mean i told you i had a bunch to say this podcast is a little bit longer than podcasts in the past but that's just how it goes sometimes sometimes i have more to say so if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, check it out, dannb.org. And with all that said, have a great month, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.